Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be joining you this afternoon. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 12, so please turn that up in your Bibles with me. Isaiah chapter 12. So we'll do the whole chapter together. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. On the 5th of April this year, the Baylor University men's basketball team won the National College Basketball Championship in America. You should ask, why is this an interesting fact? Well, it isn't because they won. Rather, it is something that their head coach said in the interview after they won the game. And he was asked, look, what makes your team tick? How have you been so successful? How are they able to play with smiles on their faces without feeling the pressure? And he answered that his team played with a culture of joy. And he went on to say in the interview, uh, I could tell that he was a Christian, that this explicitly came from Christ. Christ was the source of that joy for that team, for this coach. And of course, it's wonderful to see Christians worshipping God with their sports. I always find that encouraging. But what we see here in Isaiah 12 is a culture of joy that is far broader than just a basketball game. This characterizes the whole people of God. This joy is the heartbeat of the everyday life of someone who belongs to him. Well, what have God's people got to be joyful about? Why is Isaiah trying to persuade Israel to respond in this way? Well, these first 12 chapters of Isaiah kind of sit together as a section. And in those chapters, Isaiah is showing God's gospel plan for his people. What you see is judgment for Israel and how they've totally ignored God and they've brought judgment on themselves. Isaiah warns them that they will be totally and utterly destroyed and sent into exile, but that there will be a son born, a child given who will rule on the throne of David and save his people. In the chapter before ours, it tells us about how the Lord will bring back his people from all over the world. It says, God will raise a signal for the nations and assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Do you see that picture of gathering people together? And they will live under the rule of God's king, evil and sin destroyed. It's a sweep through history. That's what we see in those first 12 chapters. And this is why we have chapter 12 here in Isaiah. How will God's people to respond to that news? 
to that picture of history? Well, it's joy, isn't it? Praise, thanks, singing, shouting is the happiest song, and we get to join in singing it as well. And you'll see that what we're looking at today splits nicely into two. Verse 1 says, you will say in that day. The same is repeated in verse 4. And we see it splits the two. We see the first three verses look at the response, a personal response of the forgiven sinner. How do they respond to God in light of what he's done for them? And then in verses 4 to 6, we see how this spills out into the rest of the world, how it invites the rest of the world to participate in this joy, to hear about it. So in other words, we see a response of joy and a joy that overflows. But let's look at this first personal response of joy that we see. How can the individual, as part of God's people, have joy? Well, we see in verse 1, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. As you've been, as if you were to follow through what Isaiah has been showing the first twelve chapters, God's anger is strong, and it's stoked all against Israel because of how they've treated him. They've walked away from God. They've followed other nations, and his judgment is terrifying. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter five. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Do you see that picture of God's anger burning up against Israel? And it's completely fair, it's completely just, and there's nothing that the people of Israel can do to avoid it. The only one who can turn away this anger is God himself. And that's what we see in verse 1 of chapter 12. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. We move from anger to comfort. Maybe, if you're like myself, you've been spending far too much time watching Netflix documentaries, and there's quite a few about prison inmates who are on death row and it's about the kind of campaign to, to show their innocence and get them free. And it's, it's scary stuff, isn't it? The inmate is facing the full force of the American justice system. They're going to face execution. But then somehow it's shown to the judge and the jury that they are innocent and they can walk free. The anger and judgment turned away. That is the kind of sense here, justice and anger being passed on. But it's even more extraordinary because Israel's judgment that they are facing and the judgment that we all face for rejecting God is fully deserved. We fully deserve that judgment. But God has turned it away. That is a reason for joy. God's anger being turned away and becoming comfort. In verse 2, we see this relationship has been totally transformed Rather than standing before God as a guilty enemy, we can say that God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Someone who belongs to God can say that he is their strength and song. And those words that you see there in verse 2, 
Those are the exact words that Moses and the people of Israel use after God saves them from the hand of the Egyptians. You remember the story. They've left Egypt. They've escaped. They're fleeing the Egyptian army. They've crossed through the Red Sea. And you can imagine the picture. They look around and they see the Egyptian army charging through the sand and the soil between the waters to chase them down. And then God brings the waters back together, completely destroying the Egyptians. A dramatic rescue, breathtaking rescue. And in the, ver- in the chapter, wait, listen to what they say in, verse, in Exodus 14. This is what they say. This is their response. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. There's that response. And then they start singing. Chapter 15 in Exodus goes on. They say the same words that we see here. The Lord is my strength and my soul. And in Isaiah, it's even greater rescue, even greater than what you see in Exodus. As Isaiah is trying to show that God's people don't rely on their own power. They rejoice because God is the one who has saved them. They don't sing about how great they are as a people. They sing about how great their God is, the one who rescued them. And that's incredible security, isn't it? I've got three brothers, and they all have young children. And whenever I spend time with them, it's amazing to watch. Whenever they're scared, whenever they're hurt, they're just running back into the arms of their mum or dad. That's what young children do, isn't it? They know where their security is. They know that their parents are where they can be safe. They aren't strong, but their parents are. So with them, there's no fear. That's the same idea here, that you and I, as individual Christians, can have this security because God is our salvation. And this certainty leads to the joy that we see in verse 3. But before we get there, we need to ask, how is God's anger turned away? Well, this rescue of God, of God's people, is partly revealed as you go through the first 12 chapters of Isaiah. We're told in chapter 11 that there's going to be a king born. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. We hear this a lot at Christmas, don't we? This idea of a king coming, and we know that this is Jesus. For the first hearers of Isaiah, this was yet to happen. This was something in the future for them. But for us, we live on the other side of the cross. We can look back to Christ's love in dying for us on the cross. And Isaiah 53 explains what that looked like. Pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. By Jesus' wounds, we are healed. That is how we are saved. That is how God's anger is turned away. His judgment meant for us is passed on to him. If you're visiting today or exploring what Christianity is about, then this is core. This truth of Jesus' sacrifice of himself to give us new life is the joy and hope for Christians. Not anything else. It's not just a nice community. It's not just a comfortable place to be. This is the joy that we have. So let me urge you to look into this if this is something you've not explored. Because if it is true, 
This is the only joy that cannot be taken away from you. But let's come back to verse 3 because we see how we are to live in response to that rescue. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Has anyone ever had to draw water from a well at all? No, we don't tend to do it too much. I had to do it once on a school trip when I was in primary school, and it was a complete faff. It took a really long time. You got about a bucket that big of water. It was totally pathetic, total waste of effort. But imagine being in the Middle East, an arid land. You have to walk miles to the nearest well, get all the water you need for your household, and go back. It is difficult. I can't imagine them being joyful in that process. But the picture is different here. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. How are we to go on as Christians? We're not in the new creation yet. We're effectively in exile in the sense, aren't we? How do we keep going? Well, God doesn't let us thirst. We are kept going in joy by drawing water from the well of his salvation. Jesus tells us in John 4 that whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You may hear Christians or churches saying that they preach a simple gospel. Well, in one sense, that's right. Anyone can grasp the gospel. But the gospel is never boring or shallow. It's it's bottomless. You'll never run out of things about God's love to fall back in love with. It's a never-ending source of joy. Maybe joy isn't the way you describe your Christian life at the moment. Perhaps you feel that God is distant, disconnected, You haven't got the fire and the passion that you used to have. Well, this passage asks of us, are we drawing on the wells of salvation? There's nothing lacking on God's side. The well is there for us to draw on. The question is, are we tapping into it? We can remind ourselves of the salvation that we have. That is a spring of joy. Maybe opening the Bible by yourself is an insurmountable task at the moment. Well, maybe see if you can meet with someone to help you do that. Do it as a group. Or maybe even that is just too much. You feel exhausted and apathetic. It's been a long three years almost now, hasn't it? Or COVID and isolation. Well, you can listen to hymns. You can listen to songs. We can sing again, can't we? Use any way to get God's word this idea of salvation and our joy in it, into your life. But maybe that's not your problem. And maybe you fall into the kind of similar habits that a lot of us Christians do, where we talk about how hard it is to be a Christian in our different contexts. We end up being sad and serious. We complain and we grumble. Society isn't what it used to be. Church isn't what it used to be. It's tough being one of the only Christians in work, or a team, or my family. Let me be clear, of course, we need to be honest about our struggles. I'm not saying to downplay that or put on a a stiff upper lip. But let's be honest about the joys that we have as well. 
Paul models this in Philippians. In terrible circumstances, in prison, abandoned by his friends, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We, as Christians, more than anyone, have something to be joyful about. So it's clear, our joy comes from God's forgiveness of our sin through Christ. And that is a well of salvation we can come to every day. And this response of joy, this life that we live in joy, is something that overflows. It moves from the personal to the communal. If you look at verses 4 to 6, it's no longer about a personal response, but a group, a gathering, a group of people praising and singing. It's a public song about God to the world. It has that feel of an invitation, doesn't it, in verse 4. Give thanks to the Lord. Imagine them saying to one another, look, give thanks. Encouraging one another to make known his deeds among the people. And this song continues to keep the whole world in view in verse 5. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. God's rescue of his people is not to be kept quiet. It's not to be a secret. This rescue has the whole world in view. The whole world must hear. And where is the best place for the world to see this joy? Where is the world going to hear about the things that God has done? Well, it's right here in this church, in every local church. We want our local church to be unashamed in praising God, public in praising him. We want our churches to be open so that anyone can come in and see clearly what we are so joyful about. If your friends and family who don't yet believe feel that this is a, like going, coming to a service is too much, it would be too much of a step for me, then have Sunday lunch and bring your Christian friends and your non-Christian friends together. That is church as well. They can experience what a church community looks like in your home. We're not lone wolves to go out and complete this mission, sing this song on our own. Isaiah is clear, this is a communal activity. We all do it together. We, as the people of God, make known his deeds among the people. And let this joy, not duty or obligation, be the driving force behind that. And do you see how this joy is infectious? It spills out. It's unashamed. Look at verse 6. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. God's rescue of his people and how forgiveness that is offered to all people is something worth shouting and singing about. When I was 18 and I left school, I had the opportunity to go along on a short-term mission trip to the Gambia, which is a tiny country in West Africa. And one of the things our team was able to get involved with was the National Student Conference, kind of like the UCCF National uh, Student Conference they do here. And we had four days of Bible teaching, chatting to Christian brothers and sisters from across the country. And it was brilliant. But every evening, from around 8 p.m. till 2 a.m., there was non-stop singing, 
praise and hymns. It was, it was full on. And apparently no one makes a noise complaint in Gambia. It was blasting through the neighborhood. And I made it to about midnight, and I just couldn't keep going. And I went back to the classroom floor where we were all staying. And at 6 a.m. in the morning, the Gambian lads were up again, and we're going to start after breakfast, a few songs before the teaching started. I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. But what was clear was that their joy was overflowing. It was incredible. They shouted, literally shouting rather than singing at times. Their joy could not be contained. And of course, Isaiah has in view here the final day of when God's people will be together and sing his praise. But there's an element where this is for now too. We, have, we as Christians have seen God's rescue. Shouting and singing is at times appropriate. Let's not hide behind our British culture of non-expression. We as Christians can have this heartbeat of joy, this culture of joy. Because look at how this song climaxes at verse 6, at the end of it. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is everything that the Bible is looking forward to, isn't it? From the moment of God's presence with Adam and Eve, walking with them in the garden. From the moment that was lost, we see the pieces of the jigsaw coming back together. God's presence in the tabernacle, his presence in the temple, his indwelling of us as believers by his spirit. And in the end, the full, transparent, complete presence of God and his people in his new creation, in his new city. That is an incredible thing to look forward to. Friends, there is so much to be joyful about in this chapter of Isaiah. So think of someone you can maybe read this through this week who's not doing so well or not being so joyful. How can you encourage them? How can this remind them of the well of salvation that they can draw upon? And as you pray this week, maybe read verse 1 and 2 again and pray this in. Let me do that now as we pray. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Lord God, we ask you that you will help us to access this joy that we have. We pray that you will give us ways and help us to encourage one another to remember that this ultimate joy that we have is found in you. Lord, we rejoice not in ourselves. We don't trust in ourselves. Lord, we trust in you and your rescue. And we pray that that will be displayed to the whole city of Edinburgh and to the whole world. In your name we ask. Amen.